this podcast is really just an opportunity for me to reflect back on the candidates we've had over the last few months. We've been pretty busy, as people have known. We've been relaunching our website, but we've been quite heavily involved with um, case um, preparation. And, you know, we're going waves. We started with um, the U.S. in January with the um, uh, internship hires. We're now heavily involved in South Africa, Australia, and Russia, where recruiting is taking place, as well as, you know, lots of continental Europe as well. Um, so we go through these waves, and one of the things that's um, interesting is that we've been traveling a lot as well. As people know, we were in Brazil recently. Um, we're going to be in Santiago, Chile in a few weeks, I believe. Then we're off to Moscow again. Um, if all goes well, we'll be in the United States as well. Uh, we'll probably be in Brazil again. Um, we may be in Spain, if everything goes according to plan, and Singapore is on the cards as well. And this is all before winter, uh, full-scale summer even kicks in. And one of the nice things about these events is that some of our candidates do arrange for us to attend events. And when we attend events, we have one simple rule. We can, our presence cannot be announced. And I'll tell you why we, we don't want our presence announced. When people know who we are and they know um, what we do, we cannot judge them for who they really are. Because when people know that we, you know, we're the guys from Firms Consulting, we've um, you know ex partners. We have a, we we train people for a living. We understand what it takes to get in. We can't really see the candidate for what they are. And um, we've attended a lot of events in Brazil at universities, and even we even attended an event at uh, Petrobras um, when they were talking to their aspiring MBAs at the offices. And um, we just wanted to see what it's like. We wanted to get a feel of the candidates. And what I want to report back is on candidates that have always stood out for us, the characteristics of those candidates who have, um, you know, not just stood out in the pre-screening process, but have also, because of because of these candidates' uh, ca- characteristics, sorry, most importantly, have gone on to place at the major consulting firms. I think the one thing that always strikes me about um, outstanding candidates is their humility. It always surprises me how rare humility is today. So I remember I was at this event in Brazil and I was sitting in the end, in the back, sitting at the back because I arrived late. My flight in from um, um, Sao Paulo was a little bit late. So I arrived late. Um, I, you know, when I go out to these events, I always dress well. But the speaker, as agreed, announced all the other people from the different business schools and didn't announce who we were. So we were sitting in the back and I was just having my cocktail. It's quite a nice cocktail with papaya and some cranberry kind of juice. Very nice. I had like five of those things. But anyway, a few candidates came up and just spoke to us, voluntarily introduced themselves to us, right? And I like those candidates. I mean, they had nothing to gain from me. They came up to speak to us and we started talking to them about their career and so on. And midway through the event, it kind of slipped out who we were because the candidate who invited us kind of made a comment and someone, and the word just spread. And then people were pretty much ignored us for the whole event, you know, really started climbing all over themselves to try to understand who we were and what we did and so on. But the point is this. The characteristic, I think, of outstanding candidates is they have this willingness to learn and they treat people as if they're important, irrespective of what their background is. It's very hard to explain this characteristic. I call it I call it humility, and I find it to be a very important characteristic. And I think that when I speak to candidates, it's a surprise to me how few candidates have humility. Too many people are geared to be arrogant, 
geared to make you look bad. I mean, some people's attitude, some people's approach to showing intelligent AI is to ridicule what you are doing. So I think humility is very important. I also find maturity important, you know, um, the ability to handle stress, the ability to not take yourself seriously, the ability to, to know it's okay to not know everything. Uh, and I've seen candidates where when we talk to them, they get worried when they don't know the answer to something. And then I look at other candidates, and obviously the mature candidates are tenderly people who also have a lot of life experience, you know, older candidates. They seem to be okay with the fact they don't know everything. And they're, they're quite comfortable with the fact that given where they are in their, in their training, they wouldn't know everything. And even at the end of the training, there's some things they won't know the answer to, but they'll answer it to the best of their abilities. I find maturity to be quite important. And to be honest, when I'm dealing with a candidate and I'm thinking to myself, is this someone I would want to work with if I was still in consulting? I'd rather have someone mature who could you know, roll with the punches and roll with the chaos. I think humor is also very important. And I, one thing that always cracks me up about Australian candidates is they put a lot of humor into their speech. And I find it quite surprising because it's, I'm generalizing it, obviously. Now, we've only got like 17 can Australian candidates, so I'm not talking about the whole population, but it's, it seems to be an Australian thing. And no matter how... And some of our days are pretty hectic. You know, we've got calls the whole day. We're basically back-to-back -back in calls. And then it's like 7 p.m. at night. We've done calls for 12 hours already. And we speak to the Australian candidates. Sort of, you know, because of the demeanor they have and they have this friendly way of speaking and polite, laid-back style, it kind of just washes away all of the stress. And I must say, I do look forward to the calls I have with the Australian candidates. I do look forward to it. I'm not saying I don't look forward to the um, other candidates, but I think the Australians, it's nice to put them in at the end of the day, and I do that deliberately because of this, is that they just have this really humorous style of speaking. They don't take themselves seriously, obviously the ones I'm dealing with. And when I'm working with someone who doesn't take themselves seriously, who kind of rolls the punches and throws in all these humorous comments and makes it fun, you know, they make it lighthearted. It's a lot easier for me as the coach and putting my putting myself in the shoes of an interviewer to work with this candidate. Because after a while, no matter how badly I'm feeling, if a candidate is just going to be friendly and humorous and it'll be professional and polite at the same time, I'm eventually going to mimic their style of speaking. And what this candidate is doing is that by introducing, injecting this humor in, they, they're, they're controlling the atmosphere of the discussions. And I actually like candidates who do that. I mean, humor, obviously pleasant humor, non-sexist, non-religious, and so on. But just make it, do not take yourself seriously, you know. If you make a mistake, laugh it off and move on rapidly. Don't um and oh and ah and discuss why things are bad and why it's the end of the world. It doesn't help anyone. Time spent doing that is time wasted. The other thing I think about is, does someone sound like a consultant? If you've ever met McKinsey, BCG consultants, associates, engagement managers, you know we speak in a certain way. Crystal clarity. I don't know how clear I'm speaking today because I've been traveling quite a bit and I don't think I've fully recovered from all my travels as yet. But the point is, I think that consultants communicate in a certain crisp way. They have a certain style in the way they communicate. They have a certain way of emphasizing things, de-emphasizing things, but obviously building up and getting uh, getting you to follow what they are doing. And when I speak to a candidate, I always think to myself, does this person sound like a consultant? Because if they don't sound like a consultant, it's it's one more gap we have to overcome. And it tends to be quite a large gap. Those of you who've done cases with us would know that at some point, early somewhere, we will tell you in advance, we're going to be really tough on you, don't take it seriously. Today is the day we're going to let it up. We're going to be really tough on you. So be aware of this. Are you okay with this? And the candidate will say yes. But let me tell you something. Nine out of ten candidates will say yes, but when we are tough with them, some of them want to cry. When I mean we're tough on a candidate, I don't mean we 
call their mother's names and so on. What I mean is that we dig. It's called digging. If they say something, we ask why. Why did you say this? We are pedantic is the word I'm looking for. And I find a lot of candidates crack underneath that pressure. Now, if you crack underneath the pressure, it's not the end of the world, but you need to know you are cracking under pressure and need to be aware of it the next time. And I'd say most candidates, as I mentioned, 9 out of 10, when we do it with them, they just collapse. They they want to cry, some of them. Some of them do cry. I mean, we feel bad about it. And so we're really rethinking this approach of you know putting you under pressure. But the point is, you may be put under pressure by an interview and we want, to, want you to be able to handle it. But we are very pedantic. We are really difficult because we want you to have a tough experience with us so when you are in the interview, you feel it is going easier than what you experienced with us. For us, that is a sign of success. Other good um, judgments or other good characteristics of the successful candidates is just business judgment. The assumptions they make or the conclusions they draw are just logical. You know, I had a candidate who once told me that the population of the world is 1 billion. I had another candidate who once told me there are 49 Starbucks in the whole of the United States, continental, excluding Alaska. Those kind of things just don't work. I mean, they show poor business judgment. I mean, the candidate was from Toronto. He lives in downtown Toronto. You walk through downtown Toronto, you may be going to see something like 10 Starbucks, right? You know, Bay Street. He lives quite close to Bay Street. So to tell me that the whole of the United States has five times the amount of Starbucks more than the whole of downtown Toronto, I mean, it's just something wrong with their scaling system. In a poor business judgment, you can't, you know, that's what business judgment is. It's firstly making the right estimate and then using numbers to scale or scale down. You know, like someone telling me, well, you know, I think Emirates is the world's, I told them it's the world's fifth largest airline, maybe third. And I said, okay, I'm guessing that they're a big airline. So they probably have 20 aircraft. I mean, like really, 20 aircraft for the world's largest airplane. Business judgment cannot be taught. It comes from having, I would say, being well-read, getting into debates, and just being able to talk off the cuff. I also find consultants who, or candidates, sorry, who are able to, Candidates who need to go through a lot of cases are not learning correctly, and I'm going to repeat that. Candidates who need to go through a lot of cases before they become comfortable are not learning correctly. They are memorizing. They are trying to memorize every single kind of case. You only need to go about through five or six cases to understand the underlying techniques to solve a case, and then you've got to go through about five or six more to learn different kinds of cases. But if you're the kind of person who needs to do like eight, 50 cases then you're not learning the underlying technique. You're trying to memorize the different kind of cases you will face. And, you know, cases are like math. You can't memorize it. You know, 2 times 10 may give you 20, but if you haven't learned 3 times 10 is 30, you can't solve it. You have to understand the underlying mechanics. And this is linked to the next point, is that if you feel that you have to know every single type of case to be comfortable, then you are learning cases incorrectly. We spoke about humility and niceness. I'll talk about emotional intelligence, you know, yeah, you got to be really careful, yeah, especially in the United States, Canada, and I'd say London, and even Australia, in the sense that, well, Singapore as well, multicultural societies, you've you got to be really careful with the comments you make. Uh, I was having a screening call with someone else, and sometimes I changed the call, and I was talking about the why in Iraq. And some co and it doesn't matter what was said in the context, the com person made the comment that, Soldiers went to Iraq, they shouldn't be there, they deserve what they got. Now, you know what? Maybe they deserve what they got. Maybe they don't. The point is, I, I cannot judge on that. But what I can judge is that, imagine your interviewer is the brother, sister, mother, daughter, niece, nephew, uncle, or aunt of a soldier fighting in Iraq. How will that come across?
Sure, consultants must be um, unemotional, but I can assure you, when they are neglecting you and declining you, they will find the reason to decline. You never make emotionally unintelligent. Well, that's just an emotional landmine, right? You never say things like that. You never say things like that. Or like the brilliant Eton Oxford candidate, probably one of the best people we ever had, right? Who goes to, speaks Thai because of the in inverted commas, funny he had during his youth when he was in Bangkok, and tells the Thai interviewer that, you know, I really enjoy the nightlife in Bangkok, and when I was young, I had a lot of fun here. So, you know, I'm pretty sure that most people in Thailand are not proud of the um, reputation Bangkok has for its nightlife and Pattaya and Phuket and so on. You can't make a statement like it. I'm not sure that's the reason he got declined, but let me tell you, if I was a Thai national and someone made a comment like that, I would have been taken aback immediately, right? Part about the Bangkok nightlife, okay. A little bit dodgy area you're going to, but the part about all the fun you had at night is it could be interpreted too many ways, so I would not do that. Emotional intelligence is a big thing. Don't screw it up by making ridiculous comments. If ever you are making a comment because you feel hurt, you are making the wrong comment. Because if you feel hurt, you feel attacked, you are defending yourself. If you defend yourself, your objective is to defend yourself, not to get the job. And you're responding with the wrong objective in mind. So emotional intelligence screws up a lot of candidates. And some people say comments that I just, you know, it just makes me laugh. For example, we had one candidate who I was mimicking a pretty, as mimicking a tough client. With I was said, I'm going to pretend to be a client. And I'm going to talk you through a program. I was telling you how great our products were at Microsoft and so on. And this candidate turned around to me and said, well, your products are not that great. You make pretty lousy products. I mean, how can you say that to a client? It's immediate failure. right? You immediately fail. And then I was putting a lot of pressure on a German candidate once. And the comment I made to her is, you know, why do you think you'll be a, a good management consultant because you spend your whole life in IT? And she turns around to me and says, what do you mean I spend my whole life in IT? I don't spend my whole life in IT. Tone was negative, and she was attacking me. And she was wrong, because she did spend her whole life in IT, but according to her, the fact that between the ages of zero when she wore diapers and 16 when she was in high school, she wasn't in IT, I couldn't make that comment. Which to me is, this, you know, shows a lack of emotional intelligence, a lack of the way people communicate, being emotional, especially when I told her I'm going to be tough on her. Whenever you take things personally, you're going to screw up. Political awareness, oh, I see this a lot. Comments made about Iran. You do not comment about a country you know nothing about. I don't care whether Iran drops an atom bomb on someone. You cannot do that because you don't have the background. You don't know where your interviewer comes from. You are not an expert on Iran. You cannot make comments about a country. You, know, you cannot make comments about Iraq. You cannot do that. There's a lot of underlying reasons why decisions are made at the geopolitical level and you are naive to think that you know the West is right all the time. I, I don't care if Hitler was reborn, he took over Germany again and he killed children. You do not make political comments until you are absolutely 100% sure of what you are saying. And the point is politics is messy with a lot of behind-the-scenes events taking place, so you can never be sure of what is happening. So politics, religion, ethnicity are off-limits. Off-limits, if, if I tell you what have you read about, what, tell me about something you've read about recently, you start going on a rant about how Iran is threatening the world, 
you're, you're out. I don't care. I mean, you could be right. You can you can present to me evidence that has been validated by every single government. You can present evidence that validated by the Iranian government. I'm not interested. You went off key. You went on an attack, and you cannot do that. Political awareness is very important. And political awareness is not knowing what's happening politically. It's knowing the way people react as a result of political situations. So you cannot make comments like that. Generally calm people, I always like. They make me feel calm, which is always good if I'm the interviewer. Know the basics well, you know, do a few cases to understand the basics. And please, you know, if you are good at math, it is not a competitive advantage. I always point this out to people. If math was the number one criteria for being a great management consultant, MIT would dominate the consulting ranks, but they don't. Harvard, Wharton dominate, not the math wizards. So you have to be good enough at arithmetic, and not even math, let's be honest. Arithmetic is plus, minus, divide. Not even multiplication, the inverse is dividing. You don't have to know how to do fancy options pricing analysis. Okay, if you're interviewing for the McKinsey corporate finance practice, the BCG value creation practice, then yes, do that. But by and large, you have to be good enough at math. So ho I'm hoping a lot of the things I told you in this podcast are not new. I'm really, I'm hoping. But if it is new, I would take it to heart because a lot of the things I'm telling you are very important. Do not derail your chances by making silly mistakes by not doing enough due diligence on what is required. Right? A lot of the things you need to do to gain the management consulting are easy, but people don't do it because they are... I would say there's an information overload today. I mean, if you go on the internet and you Google McKinsey interview, BCG interview, you get so much information. Most of it, most of it written by well-meaning people, but you know, not applying real scientific rigor. I mean, I really love those blog posts where people had one experience, and because they had the experience, it's now conventional wisdom, and it applies to everyone. One person who scored 3.3 on their GPA got into McKinsey, and they now paint the picture that McKinsey is not worried about your GPA. The exception does not make the rule. The world is governed by normal distributions, Poisson distributions, right? By and large, you want to be on the mean. If you are not on the mean, you gotta ask yourself why. Is it negative? If it's negative, is it detrimentally negative? If it's not negative, is it positive? Good. But by and large, the world's a Poisson distribution. Unless you, like, a, you know, I, uh, you went and graduated summa cum laude from Princeton or magna cum laude or something for your Harvard economics degree, then you're pretty much, you know, tending towards the upper side of the mean. But the point is, even then, do not look at grades only. There are many other soft skills that you need to have at your disposable. And as always, I'll be willing to entertain any comments, queries, or questions.